makes me really sleepy. I think it's the day today. Alrighty. Whenever you're ready. Cool. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Legendary Tales podcast. I'm your host, Adam Bloor, and I'm joined, as always, by Isadora Martin Dye. What's up? And today we are doing a very specific episode. If you tuned in last week, we mentioned that we are gaining a growing viewership, listenership. 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 In, Look, listen. In, in, in <laughs> India, um, which is awesome. Uh, and we had, and we realized after that that we hadn't done an India-specific episode or even anything from that continent. No, which is kind of amazing because... It's gigantic and it has so many different cultures. Also, when all of this is done, <clears throat> Sri Lanka is pretty much top of my list of places to visit, which I, I know isn't India, but... A friend of mine recently got back from Sri Lanka and said it was amazing, mm. so it's jumped up there. Yeah, so we uh, decided to do that. Yeah. Have we got anything that we need to chat about? No? I don't think so. Uh, go donate some money to the... Yeah, the, to the hikey thing. The hikey thing, if you want. UK Virgin Money Giving com. Link in the Swingdom's bio on Instagram. Yeah, I don't know. Go on the Instagram, follow us on Instagram. We haven't heard from anyone in a while. No. Uh, let us know. Let us know what you're things. thinking. Um, Halloween is next week. Halloween is two... next week. It is next, next week. Wow, week. it is actually so next week. So we are going to do spooky, spooky, spooky yeah. next week is the plan. Um, I think we're going to go as spooky as possible. We're going to go with the things that personally creep us out. Yeah. Yes. Which to add are maybe under the water and not creep anyone Ugh. else out. If you're not afraid of things under the water, there's something wrong with you. Um, so, you We've know. We've explored less of the ocean than we have of, like, our galaxy. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my 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 thing for next week's like, I feel like genuinely scary to people, whereas I feel like you'll come up with something that's like weirdly specifically scary <laughs> just to you. Uh, maybe I was I was going to. Well, maybe, maybe we'll talk about it at the end of the episode, um, but I believe you're starting this week. Yes. So um, I don't think we were talking about this as we were sitting down and I was like, well, when I first, you know, uh, I'm addressing issues of consent in India. Okay. Because I found a legend that I found really, really interesting. Uh -huh. But one of the reasons I found it interesting was how it ties back to the current problems that India is trying to address. Yes, there is a large, the a large disparity uh, relating to gender inequality. Yeah, in India, inequalities in general, actually, yeah. between in the case system. But like, uh, yeah, I'm going to look at We're a bit of that. Dora's going to talk about gender. I am, but I'm actually going to talk about. A tale, a story, mm. legend. Oh my god! It's like literally it's like what the we're name here. of the podcast. So let me quickly tell you my sources. Um, oh, I don't have any of those this week. Sorry in advance to those people that you ripped off and <laughs> yeah. forgot to record. Sorry. Uh, I got India Today. In, uh, Srinivarios. Com, the New Indian Express, Andrew, Andrew Charamoli who wrote a really cool in article for the Indian Express, uh, BBC, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the Equal Community Foundation towards the end. And so I stole some stuff from their website. Cool. I may need to tell you about the stuff that's on their website. Um, I feel that it's worth saying that I'm sorry in advance for how poorly I pronounce a lot of what's going to happen. I feel like we also shouldn't have to say it. If you're expecting perfect pronunciation from us at this point. Yeah, I would point out that not only do I find reading hard being dyslexic, I am now reading in names that, to me, I can't necessarily always decipher mm -hmm. in how they're supposed to break oh, down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've 
tried to break down the bits that I really thought I was going to struggle over, but I know that there's a ton of names in this story that I'm about to tell you, and there is no way I'm going to get them all right. Mm. And it, I'm really sorry. Culturally, it's got nothing to do with anything other than my utter ignorance. And I will point out, not just of Indian language, but I butcher every language that we talk about, especially, including the uh, English language. English. So, yeah. All right. So, Muhabaraba 2. All right. Muhabarahu 2 is a major epic in ancient Indian. Yeah, it was just something language. that I came across as well. Yeah. So, there's two like major epics. It is. I think considered the longest poem ever written. And the longest version consists of over 100,000 sulka and 200,000 individual verse lines. Um, at 1.8 million words in total. It is 10 times the length of the Iliad and the Odyssey combined. Mm -hmm. And about four times the length of the other epic, which is Ramayanda. And in the context of world civilization, it is considered as important as the Bible, the works of William Shakespeare, and the works of Homer and the Quran. Um, it, the fact that I'd never heard of it before is probably not great, awful. Um, but it's uh, it is a hugely important piece of Indian works. Obviously, that is not what I'm. I am talking about a very small subsection of that work yeah because this is like telling you a story of the bible not telling you what the bible is mm -hmm. okay um because we don't have that time and i certainly don't have that level of expertise the it was written by vyasa who is considered kind of a titan epic immortal in indian culture he's actually featured in it as well mm. so like he's um i guess one of the ways that a lot of these Indian epics are written is that it's somebody in the story telling the story about the story sometimes. So well, it can Homer, be... I think Homer was in the Odyssey, as, shows up in the Odyssey at one point as well. So I, I don't think it's an uncommon thing okay. like, cross-culturally yeah. for people to do that. And uh, the bulk of it was written between the 3rd century BCE and the 3rd century CE. Oh my. So it was written over about 600 years. Um, the very oldest part may go back 400 BCE. And the original events related in what's written mm. probably took place about 9th or 8th century BCE. So we're talking almost 800 to 1,000 years before Christ yeah. was born. Okay. Before the beginning of the current era. Um, it probably reaches its final form by about 400 CE. So um, we're talking about a very old, like an incredibly old piece of mm. literature here. Um, the book I'm going to talk about particularly within this book, and this is a, I could not figure out how to pronounce this word. There was no pronunciations on the internet, so I'm going to give it a go. Yodoga. Okay. U-D-Y-O-G-A. Havara. It's otherwise known as the Book of Effort. And it's the fifth of the 18 books. And it has 10 sub books, 199 chapters. <laughs> and I am going to be read, telling you the story that happens in the last part of the book. Okay. It is 
set immediately after the exile of Pandaverus, and it describes the effort for peace and um, that fails as the war, the Great War of Kurashatera is coming up. Okay, so this is um and as I previously mentioned, it is in four stages. So it's narrated to one person which Vasaya recorded, and then that's related to somebody else, and then that's related, and that's what we're reading. Okay. So it's kind of fourth, I found that a, hand. a lot as well. Well, something similar to that. Yeah. I'll talk about it a bit. Is like a problem will come up, mm -hmm. then like a proverb will be given as a solution. And then at the end of that proverb, they'll be like, and that is how you will befall the same fate as this person. And then the person who's having the tale told to them goes like, oh, like, what was the fate of that person? And the person telling the story goes, well, here's this story, which is now, like, wrapped up into, like, a greater narrative about... And then that and then in that second story, yeah. a third story will start. And they all relate to each other up to, like, the outer wrapping of the, of the whole narrative. And as such, trying to... Yeah, and, and for me to try and even figure out where this was, mm. this story was, was really hard. Oh, yeah. And where it lays in history is really hard. Mm -hmm. Also, the bit that I'm reading seems to very much stand alone. Okay. Uh, it, it doesn't seem to be, it seems to have been told and told and told, but mm. it doesn't actually seem to relate back to the massive epic. So, like, when I read the synopsis of the epic, mm. this story wasn't even mentioned because it's not integral to the epic story okay. as a whole. Mm. That makes that's sense. That's like the opposite of all of the stuff that I got into. Okay. So, well, that's good because we don't want to do that. We, we don't, don't want to do the same. We don't want to be, yeah. Um, I did like, okay, so I got the impression that the website surinavarosaros.com. Very good. Uh, who knows? I'll try and put the, I'll try and put some of this in the show notes so that then yeah. people can actually look it up. I got the impression that maybe they were coming from it from a slightly more misogynistic angle mm. than perhaps I would come at it, but they did do a very good breakdown of what the story, like I didn't really get, I read, so it's a huge website yeah, and it's a huge, and there's tons of really informed comments as well. Mm. So I read all of that and it was really, really interesting. I actually read a hell of a lot more than what's on this paper, okay. um, but it was really hard to figure out how to make it all fit in. Uh -huh. Um, and quote it. So I'm just going to yeah. kind of give you my takeaway at the yeah, end of yeah, it. Yeah. Um, but I did really like this description of the tale from him. It's a complex composition spread over several layers across varied periods, and in its elements are derived from diverse parts of the ancient Indian land. It is also not entirely the works of a single person. It has grown in stages across many traditions. Like the Indian jungle, it spreads out an endless wilderness of trees intertwined with creepers of bewildering sorts inhabited by an astonishing variety of creatures, birds, and beasts. It is a wonder piled upon wonders. There are several contradictions, one by one side of the other. It is not one book, but it is many books running into mm. each other. And I thought that kind of summed up yeah, yeah. kind of what we're dealing with. Anyway, so I'm going to tell you the story of Madhavari, who is a woman who, in my opinion, has rather a short shift, but also typifies kind of some of the things. Mm. Okay, so Galavara was a pupil of King Teacher Vasamantara, and 
he was Galavara was a very loyal pupil and he worked very closely with his teacher. And at the end of the academic period, the teacher blessed him and let him go on in the world. You know, I guess moving as up a teacher. as a teacher of his own thing. Um, now he asked, what does the teacher want in exchange for his teachings? And the teacher said he didn't want anything, but Galavara pressed on. And finally, he asked Galavara to present me with 800 white steeds of good pedigree, white as the rays of the radiant moon, and every one having a black ear in hue. Okay. So that was his... 800? 800 of these white horses. That sounds like it'd be difficult to find one of those. Right. Well, so... Now, this is one of those things that I read somewhere, but I could never find the source for it. Apparently, this was based on something else where there were a thousand of these mm. and 200 of them got killed. Mm -hmm. So he was sent to look for the remaining 800 okay. in another legend earlier on. Oh, okay. So there is some backstory to this particular why he wanted these white horses yeah. with black ears, yeah. but I couldn't find the source that actually... Sourced that. Sourced yeah. that. It's also some probably some largely symbolic... <laughs> Thing as well yeah so <laughs> i'm sure not literally 800 horses with black with one black ear. well no that was literally what he had to go find oh, okay um so off he went and he was unable to find any surprise surprise um so his friend took him to a king who might be in possession of a horse such as that and they reached the king of yatavi of pranthisinaya and him and his friend submitted a plea and requested the king to help him find these horses so he could be free of his debt. Um, the king was pretty poor by this point, and he'd already sold all of his horses that were met that specification. Mm. However, as a king, he didn't want to disappoint anybody who came to him for help. So what he did was he gifted Galavara his daughter, mm -hmm. Madhavari. Um, who is also sometimes called Drishatavari um, in some versions I read, and suggested that by setting her price, they could secure from any kings who owned the horses what he needed. Now, the reason why she was so valuable is she had she was apparently so strikingly beautiful that any king would give up his kingdom even for for her. Mm -hmm. But not only that, she was blessed with the ability to only give birth to sons, and every time she gave birth, her virginity was restored. Oh. Okay. I'm looking at Adam's face, which kind of sums up my feelings yeah, on it. Yeah, that's gross. I know. So. You could have, should have been Henry VIII's wife. I know. So this beautiful girl was given to Galavara, who then took her to various kings. The first king she went to was the one who uh, ruled Ahoydahaya, who was famed for his val valor, wealth, and large army. He offered her in marriage to the childless king in exchange for 800 steeds of lunar whiteness, each with one ear black in hue. Um, the king was struck with the beauty of Madhavari, uh, but he... This is a quote. He observed that the six parts of this girl's body which ought to be high are high, and the seven parts which ought to be slender are slender. Okay. And the three parts which ought to be deep are deep, 
and the five which ought to be red are red. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ugh. Okay. I don't. I. I don't even know what that's relating to, but it's like gross no matter what. I, there's just no way that that's not a gross demeaning quote. But right. anyway, uh, he says, "I most desire to have this beautiful maiden, but sadly, I only have two hundred of these steeds that you wanted." Mm. He pleads with him and says, "Let me beget one son with this damsel, and you may take all two hundred of my horses." Um. So she intervened and suggested to Gulliver, I am blessed by a sage with a special faculty that each time after I give childbirth, I will regain my virginity. Accept this offer made by the king and take these 200 excellent seeds and let me beget one son with him. Thereafter, you may collect me and take me to the next king. And in a similar manner, you may obtain all 800 of your seeds. And then you should be free from the teacher that you owe the debt to. Mm -hmm. So... So this seemed to work and everyone was all right with this. So she had a baby with this guy. Um, and he actually, uh, the, the, they do tell us what each of her offspring grew up to be. So this offspring grew up to be one of the wealthiest, wealthiest and greatest of all the benefactors among kings. Then she left that king and went to the king of Kashi, like the cereal bar. Um, oh. just, just putting those two. Yes, together. Yep. Um, who had a very large army, having already heard of her extraordinary beauty and of her stories and of her virginity, he was really excited. He also only had two two hundred of these horses too. So, same deal. She was married off to him, had a baby with him. Her virginity was restored. That baby became a celebrated her hero. Okay. Um, Galavala picked her up again. Galava picked her up again. And took her on to King Yushinara of Bohajari, who had two such hundred horses. And then she lived with this king until her son named Sibi was born. Um, and he actually gained renown as the upholder of truth and justice. She got picked up again. <laughs> Just I but so far he'd only got 600 horses and he needed the 800 mm -hmm. so wait he only had 400 oh no cuz he had the 200 he only had 400 no he's got 200 he's got the 200 that were the where they they grew up to be a great benefactor of kings yeah the next one was a celebrated hero oh and then the third yeah. one was the upholder of truth and justice this is 36 months of her time oh it's a lot of her time and then but he only had 600 horses so, did she have to raise the children as well? Well, no, this is one of the things that we'll come back okay. to, which is she seems to have popped them off and then got dragged away yeah. immediately. So, he only had 600 horses. So, mm. he went back to his teacher with the 600 horses and her and offers her up in exchange for the last 200 horses that he hadn't mm -hmm. managed to procure. Um, she's really, uh, he's fine with that. Um, so, she has a son with him named. Ashataka, who uh, gained fame as the king who performed grand Ashavari Medhayanjaras. So sorry. Really am. Um, with his debt discharged, he mm -hmm. can carry on with his life. Uh, as he departs, he thanks Madhavari, Madhavari for saving him, also her father and the three childless kings. Oh, Madhavari, the beautiful maiden, you have borne 
Your son will be a lordly giver, the second a hero, another fond of truth and right, and yet another a great performer of Yanjaris. Farewell to you, you virgin of slim waist. Yatari tries to arrange for Madhavari's wedding. Uh, she goes back to her dad. Um, as many suitors, including the three kings that had already had sons from her, were eager to actually marry her. But she was no longer interested in marriage or childbearing. She refused all offers and retired into the forest as a hermit. All of her sons did, in fact, although she was not a sovereign and she was not married, all of her sons grew up to be great kings. And that's the story. Her salvation lies in her silence and her retreat into the woods. She preferred to select the forest as her consort and live a peaceful life of celibacy, living in the woods after the manner of the deer. So that is the story of Madhavari. I, I don't have words for how bad it is. <laughs> I don't think. So I'm going to give you the, I'm going to give you the like devil's advocate version. Mm which is that she consented to each one of these marriages. She was aware of her price, her wealth, that she was going to continue to bear sons and be a virgin. Mm -hmm. She consented. Some of it was even her idea. And at the end of it, she chose to not marry, not to be tied to a man and go live as a hermit in the forest. Mm -hmm. So that is the positive spin it's on certainly it. Certainly an argument. An argument. The other argument is different. So <laughs> arguments tend to be different. <laughs> so actually, there was a book recently written, uh, and it's called "The Bride of the Forest," and it. I read a review of it, which I thought was really interesting, and I think the review was that source that I said at the beginning that was in New India Express. Yeah, the article. So I'm going to kind of tell you a little bit about this book, which is actually written by the from the point of view of Madhavi. Mm -hmm. And she, the, the synopsis is, it's the story of a harrowing saga of the grace about a woman who manages to be generous, kind, and compassionate, even while held hostage to a feckless notions adhered by powerful men and thought nothing of inflicting pain on women to fulfill their grandiose dreams. So this obviously tells it from the story point of view of her and how she was sold to a man that her father had never met before, mm. sold onto three different kings who she lived with as a wife until the moment she gave birth to a son where she was picked up and taken away again. And then that happened again and again and again. And even though her virginity was restored, by the time it came to actually being able to choose a husband, she was so done with the whole thing that the only solution that she could think of was to run off mm. and live on her own in a forest. Yeah. So I think one of the major things that comes up in this book, which I, I think is a really important point, is that even though she comports herself with here, dignity, courage, and a certain resilience. Um, and by walking away from all the things she'd been taught to aspire to as a woman, she was in fact striking a blow against patriarchy. She, at the end of the story written, not, not the, at the end of the legend, not the novel. Yeah. 
Um, she actually returns to her father and help her four sons help guide her father off into heaven. So she learns in the forest forgiveness and compassion. And, you know, there are some certainly some good things about it. Mm. But the major overwhelming thing, which I think is clear, is this idea that a woman's virginity is a valued, that a woman is there to look beautiful, birth sons and be a virgin, mm -hmm. which obviously most women don't have the ability to re-virginize themselves. No. So um, now we're going to kind of get into India's feelings on virginity real quick, because I read about a political science professor um, called Kan Kanak Sakar, who wrote a, I guess, Facebook post mm. titled Virgin Bride, Why Not? Where he made an, an analogy, an analogy, between a woman's virginity and an aerated bottle of soda. Okay. Are you willing to buy a broken seal while purchasing a bottle of cold drinks or a packet of biscuits? A girl is born sealed from birth until it is opened. A virgin girl means many things accompanied with values, culture, and sexual hygiene. To most boys, a virgin wife is like an angel. Which, by the way, just completely does not even begin to, like, understand the very concept of biology, yeah. which is that being a virgin has nothing to do with you being sealed. But to compare a woman's virginity to the idea of it's a bottle of Coke that's, that's gone flat. That's more insulting. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, hate people, I hate people who don't even understand Ugh. the science behind the insults. Like... A woman once a month has to menstruate, which means she's not sealed up there or else it wouldn't happen. It, wouldn't happen. And it doesn't have any difference as to whether she's had sex or not. Ugh. So uh, it's just anyway, thank God he got fired, <laughs> which I say like it would be inevitable. Mm. But we're going to talk a little bit about how unfortunately in India. Yeah. Up until fairly recently, it would not have been an inevitable outcome. Um, let's talk about just from the like systemic patriarchy here. This is really like I don't use the word patriarchy very often. Nope. Um, see, the two thousand and five census shows that infant mortality rates in India for females are six females to male are sixty one to fifty six, and out of um, and that actually. They reckon that 8 million female fetuses may have been aborted in the past decade in India. Okay. And that was as 2011. Um, they actually, it, while it is considered illegal to do sex DNA testing on fetuses in the womb in India, mm. the penalties for doing them are very slim compared to the financial gain for the elite people of India to be able to pay for it. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the penalty's like the doctor makes ten grand from sexing a baby to check that it's a male baby, mm -hmm. and they may get fined a thousand, yeah, if they're found to be doing it. Yeah. So financially, it works out for them to to do it, to do whether it's yeah, illegal yeah. or not. Right. And consequently, therefore, a lot more they are starting to see a huge gain in uh, in the in the last kind of twenty thirty years. There's been a lot more. Boys born in India than bottles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's just really basically at the beginning of life. Um, literacy for females stand at 
50, uh, 65% compared to males at 82%. Um, an underlying factor has been that education for girls is a waste of money. Mm -hmm. Basically, they're going to get married off to the guy yeah, and will raise his children and doesn't need to actually be literate to mm -hmm. be able to do that. Um, Indian women, on average, earn 64% of what their male counterparts earn in the same occupation with the same level of qualification. Um, equal rights are officially... So I will say, I, guys, I, this, you guys listening, I know there's people who live in India and deal with this. So this is me preaching to a choir. But also I will say that while there are 10% of our listeners are from India, 90% of our listeners might not have any idea of yeah. awareness of what yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah. On a huge plus side, India does, in fact, recognize equal rights mm. on property, on ever inheritance between men and women. It's just not practiced. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, legal, the legal backup is there. I was going to say, there's probably a precedent for it. Yeah, it's just that there's such a systemic... And it hasn't caught up yet. No, because since 900 BCE... Mm women could be married off and prized for their virginity. Yeah. So there's this amazing service or, or place called uh, that are working on Action for Equality, mm -hmm. which is a behavior change program that's designed to work with boys in the ages of 13 to 17. Basically going on the idea that you can educate women, but they're still going home to uneducated men. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So you have to change... If you want to change the flow of this, you mm. have to start with the boys. And in AFE, boys spend 43 weeks studying an educational curricula designed to teach them about gender-based violence, disrupting gender norms, and making communities more equitable and safe for women and girls. Obviously, we see a lot in the news, the violence against women um, in India. And I think one of the things that comes up time and time again is that nobody nobody steps in to right. do anything about it. Yeah. Uh -huh. So that's one of their major, their major... This is an Indian organization. Yeah. This is one of their major things, which is teaching these teenagers that they shouldn't just sit by and watch. Yeah. That actually... See something, say something. Yeah. And, and that it's unfair for the whole world to paint everyone in India with a, this brush mm -hmm. because it's not true. Yeah. It, it's... It's not true. It's, it's impossible to be true. Um, but that while ever no one's stepping up to say this is wrong that are yeah. in that culture, mm. it's hard to see the good people when the bad people are making such noise. Yeah. So that's part of what they're talking about. And there's a quote from one of the kids. I used to think that girls are weak, that they are scared of going outside, but I came to realize they were scared because of patriarchy and I started respecting them. I think understanding that women don't want to go outside is not, or they don't want to be involved is not because they're weak, mm -hmm. but because they're facing genuine discrimination yeah. and they're facing genuine problems. They also try really hard to, uh, uh, this was, uh, this was just a quote I pulled from, I think of the BBC article on them. However, as boys learn how to help girls who have been harassed, they sometimes they take this lesson too seriously. Uh, this is the ECF, which is another, Mm. charity that does the same kind of work they tell their sisters what not to wear or make them afraid to go outside alone because they're aware of the violence that's yeah. out there now while well-intentioned this overprotectiveness can actually lead to dominance in a different way mm. 
So at the starting stages of the program, they emphasize that the boys should only offer to help when girls ask for it or when they are in obvious distress. Mm -hmm. um, and they also tell them to call authorities in extreme situations rather than potentially aggravating the situation by involving themselves. So, you know, and, and it, there's a, Yeshi Dolma wrote an article for the ECF um, about how to raise, raise a nonviolent boy. Mm. And talking about it spreading like a disease and how, you know, it's this thing that we learn a lot, I think, through TV and stuff like that, which is violence breeds violence. Mm. And PTSD can actually lead to kids being violent towards repeating patterns of behavior that they've seen within their home. So these are the things that she suggests. Be a nonviolent role model. Do not use violence yourself to solve problems. Um, and that's something that particularly they say is their fathers must acknowledge that. Understand that using violence, even as a form of punishment, doesn't motivate change because it's a solution based on fear. What works are consequences imparting a sense of self-responsibility. Accept all of your feelings and teach your son to do the same. Teach him it's okay for him to have and talk about his feelings. Defend your son from others' ridicule. If your son is ridiculed for crying or having feelings, step in and defend him. Teach others why nonviolence includes allowing boys and men to have feelings and those feelings validated by others. Work with your son's school to create a program where boys learn to safely deal with their feelings in a nonviolent way. And this is going to come to where I'm going to kind of flip the tables, which is actually sexism towards men in India. Mm -hmm. And... It's there is no such thing. They do not believe in India that men can be sexually molest. Uh, that there's no molestation against men. Mm -hmm. They can. There is a definite guilty until proven innocent on some of these things right now. There's almost a swing back the other way, which I know is something that we talk about. That gets talked about a lot whenever there's a movement, yeah. rights movement. Yeah, but it is fairly valid to say that there hasn't been an education program in India to understand that, in fact, there can be domestic violence towards men, mm. um, which there can be. I mm. mean, it's very well proven. We know examples in our own lives here of domestic violence from women towards men yeah. and sexual assault from between men. Yeah. And you've got to look for gender-neutral ideas on validating feelings mm -hmm. and safety and equality. Yeah. Obviously, we're going to talk about women, obviously. But there has to be this idea that to be able to have that as well for men to feel validated and, they safe, have, yeah. and safe, they actually have to be able to accept that they're not. There's such a feeling that men are the patriarchies and strong and yeah, yeah, there's yeah. no... It's what leads to mental health issues. It's what leads to suicides. Mm. There has to be the other side of it too, mm. which is not just tarring everybody with a brush. Right. And understanding that every individual has their own sense of feelings and experiences mm -hmm. and where they're coming from. And it's amazing that, I just think it's amazing that these organizations are going after teenage boys. Mm. Not in a horror, but to teach them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's great reading the articles from their mothers. There's loads of quotes from their mothers saying that they've, they're actually for the first time ever getting help around the house because hmm. housework is a woman's role. But mm -hmm. these 
these kids are going home and actually offering to help yeah. cook yeah. and clean and be a part of society beyond the role that they think they have to play. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just this idea of you don't have to play a role. No, which... No, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to... If you as a woman want to get married and have children and be a good wife to a good man... Yeah. Absolutely, that is a role that you can choose to fulfill mm -hmm. in your own but life. It's not a role that every woman wants to... Fulfill. Fulfill or be forced into. Yes. In the same way that as a man, if you find a woman that wants to fulfill that role and you're comfortable filling the role of the patriarch of the family, mm -hmm. then great. Yeah. But if you don't want to fill that role, if you don't want to be the dominant party mm -hmm. or you want to have an re equal relationship or you just every once in a while need to be able to talk about your feelings and say, I need a break, yeah. that's also okay. Mm -hmm. It's just interesting. And it all comes back to this... I mean, I pulled out one tale. Yeah. There are so many tales that come back to this idea of mm -hmm. dominance and... Yeah, I did read when I was doing my research that, that like Indian folklore tends to break down into five different categories. Okay. And they're male-centric stories, female-centric stories. I think like animals with personalities and then like two others that I don't remember yeah. off the top. But I do distinctly remember that the genders, I, they're probably not... I'm not saying that they're dispersed equally, and I'm not even saying that like they play the same roles in those stories. So it would be interesting maybe to see, to look at other um, bits of folklore where yeah. the woman is like the central character and yeah. see if there's a correlation or if, if it is different cross story. I was trying to look for a balanced, I did try to look for a balanced tale. Yeah. Um, as I previously said, these epics are hugely long. Yes. And even finding this information was quite hard. Mm. If I went through Wikipedia and followed the links, all of the links are about the men in these stories. Yeah. Like, I couldn't that's find... What I, that's what I'm, I'm, I mean. Look like, for the women is yeah, like... would be the hard thing to do. Yes. That's why I, like, I was wondering if even, like, that separation was more of, like, an, like there are 20% of these stories focused yeah. on, on women. Guys, if you know of a story where an Indian legend where... There is a warrior queen. Yeah. It was basically what I think. It, it, um, yeah, where it's, where it's not, where she's not cast into the role of subservient. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I I'd really, really enjoy that. looking into that for you guys and finding out more information and telling more people about it. Mm -hmm. Because I think it came across when we talked about Japan and we talked about the suicide forest. Yeah. Culturally, every, every culture has its bits that are bad yeah every single culture mm. and i think as a as a community and and continue to have bad bits about them but it's a community it's about how you're trying trying to yeah oh yeah change and, and evolve they have the programs for uh yeah i can't remember specifically what they what you said in that episode but, but they do have programs the government is like putting stop like stop huge amounts of money and, yeah, into mental health research mental health research and things like that and, and that's amazing and and i will say that it does appear that like i said india's doing everything right yeah, the laws are equal the the, it's it is a systemic thing that is still trying to be changed much like the black lives matter movement yeah in space. america is not about the legal ramifications yeah it's about the systemic it's the social side yeah and and that's much harder to change mm. i mean the indian government's done essentially what it can do, which is legally make 
pull put the organizations in place. Yeah. And then ma- and then put the laws in place that say that these things are illegal. Yeah. It's more so, about setting a precedent. Because unfortunately, I mean, if you look at honor killings, um, or once somebody's dead, yeah, doesn't matter what the legal ramifications are, or if they're living with that over the top of their head, it doesn't matter what the legal yeah. ramifications are. No. So I'm really interested to learn more about it from the other side of it. Yeah. And I will say that I learned and read way too much about it from the misogynist side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is obviously alive and well, because some of the comments I read to do with these things are, I have to say, none of them were outrightly like, oh, good, she got sold off to Three Kings. Yeah. and But they were like very dismissive. Mm. Well, of course, her restoring her virginity would be considered a sense of pride. It is oh, a yeah. prize thing. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't outrightly. Like assu- it, was, it was like the assumption that you could that you could assume you knew what she felt based on the way that the story was. Written. Yes, yeah, just complicated. Yeah, but an not... interesting legend. Yes, I, yeah. And good. also, like you said, I do believe fully that not only in and that's also a really important point. Not only in India, but everywhere around the globe mm. at certain periods in history, a woman that could both be a virgin and only give birth to sons what would have been yeah. a hugely prized yeah, she, yeah. object. Deified. Yeah. Really. It doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter where it would have doesn't been. matter where you are. No. It's just no, that I'm, that was what I'm, I it's it, it's like a near it's a near interesting tie-in to the Henry the Eighth episode we did last yes, week. Yes, exactly. Which is that had she been in England at this time, Henry VIII would have snatched her up immediately. Yeah. And she would have just been his, his like, Sold baby to him maker. Yeah. and been his baby maker. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, even now in various places in the world mm. to give birth to... Only sons. Only sons and, you know... Yeah. <sighs> not an indian problem it's not an indian problem unfortunately i will say that unfortunately for where we are right now in the world there's a lot of countries that legally make it much easier to be horrifically awful to women Mm -hmm. than india yeah a lot of countries that legalize sexism Mm -hmm. in horrific ways yeah india is not one of them it just happens to be i think a very first world yeah country with that it was problem. also the country we chose to research. Yes, also it was a country we chose yeah, to research. Was, yeah. And you know me, I'm never going to do the thing where I'm just like, <laughs> you know, I don't know. All right. Cool. All right, guys, we're back. And just as a quick heads up, we have been joined by the puppies. Yes. Which means that we're trying to keep them quiet with lots of chews. So you might hear chewing. So you might hear chewing. Or puppies playing. Or puppies playing. But but it's fine. While you imagine us in our studio recording, also imagine two cute balls of fluff rolling around our feet. Yes, being just little little terrors. Yeah. So what what were you what did you learn about so India? I'm talking about something different. Okay. And this opening bit might be a little bit rambly. I hope it's not too rambly, but essentially I started sort of with the general what I do in, with my research is I sort of generally Google search a topic. Yeah. And then I just focus. I, I tend to find something interesting that I focus enjoy, down. and then I focus from mm-hmm. there. So this this opening bit might be a bit strange, but it all relates to what I'm No, because about. while we ex- established that t- some of, I believe the British, ex- the British expression is teaching your grandmother to suck eggs. <laughs> um, but while to, to our Indian listeners, this might be teaching our grandmother to suck eggs. Yeah. To a lot of our listeners, it's really important that they have an understanding. Of That's true. So here's a bit, of, a little bit of background. 
this is a lot of stuff that I didn't know, but India is one of the most culturally and genetically diverse countries on the globe. It's second in genetic diversity only to Africa. Homo sapiens have been on that continent for 55,000 years, something crazy like that. As such, they there are several languages. India has 22 or 24 recognized languages. I'm not really sure what that means. I'm assuming that means that they're spoken by more than like 0.2% of the country, but there are up to 1,200 regional dialects in the country. So the folklore is going to reflect that uh, very much. Much like folklore in other cultures, it is a reflection of the of that culture. It is ever changing, and it's it's like quote unquote accuracy can't really be brought into question um, because it's going to change so much depending on which region of India that it's in. Yeah, the Indian poet A.K. Ramanujan, who compiled the folk tales of India, said that. These epics, these oral traditions, are the literature of the dialects, of the mother tongues, of villages, of the street, of kitchens, of tribal huts, and wayside tea shops. That they, you know, they, they're in the places where the yeah. people are, basically. Mm-hmm. He also said, it is well known that such folklore items, like many other sorts of items in cultural exchange, are autoletic. It's not a word I'd ever heard before. Did you look it up? It means they travel by themselves, often without any movement of populations. Okay. A proverb, a riddle, a joke, a story, a remedy, or a recipe travels every time it is told. Okay. He basically is just pointing out the fact that these these stories show up and they're very similar in different parts of India. They're basically the same. It, yeah. it just depends on where you are and where you hear them. Yeah. The caste system in India, yeah. which you talked about briefly, mm-hmm. obviously directly impacts folklore in, in India. I'm kind of surprised neither of us talked. I I didn't even think about it until I had system. until I read the, this article. Yeah. Um because the lower classes had no access to Sanskrit, which was or is the most like the most widely written language in India. Okay. The most taught, I think it's the Brahmin, I believe that's the, the group of people who use Sanskrit the okay. most. The, obviously the lower class people don't have access to that writing. Yeah. So they create their own language and literature which is sometimes a parody of okay. the sort of yeah. loftier, big air quotes, loftier okay. tales. The three big epics, mm-hmm. which you touched on the one, uh, are the Romanya, the Bahagavad Gita, okay. and the Mahabharata were oralized before they were written down, which is insane because you were saying that the Mahabharata was like 1.8 million words or something. And to think that that could be compiled into a written, into a piece of writing is just incredible. Mm -hmm. They focus heavily on national identity, identifying local legends, including occupations, culinary traditions, community heroes. They also are very aspirational. It's sort of like the, you know, the the person in the lower caste system rising to the top and and becoming royalty or something, which we see in, Many cultures. They also describe local rituals, including being used as offerings to certain deities. Occasionally the stories are the offerings. Oh, okay. As well as religious festivals. um, And they tend to revolve around lessons in morality or religion. So I'm going to talk about the Panchatantra or the five treatises. 
Um, this is a it's a it's not necessarily an epic. I don't think in the same way like the Mahabharata is, and it's sort of it's not. I'm not going to use the word diluted because I think that's a bit der, like um, derogatory to almost yeah. say. But this is full of stories that are told to children. They're, okay, they're more fairy tales. Sort of. Um, they tend to be like like Aesop's fables. If okay. you've read any of those, these fall very much in line okay. with that sort of thing. So I'm going to just kind of break yeah. them down book by book and sort of... I yeah. was going to do a very in-depth thing, but the first book in the Panchatantra has 34 different stories within and they tend to well, that's be, what i mean when i looked at it i was just like oh i cannot it's, it's you have to immense. break this down it's a, you could spend an entire academic lifetime i think breaking down these these yeah, works i absolutely believe that so right and so this this book was written quote big air quotes uh for the three witless sons of a king who basically said my sons are idiots and they are to succeed my throne they need to be taught how to rule properly okay We've all been there. So he We've all met children. So but. he sends them to the author of this book, which is, again, very similar to the Mahabharata, okay. where the author implants themselves in the book and is the one sort of teaching the lessons. Yeah, okay. This is where I sort of got into the thing where the book opens with, I can't remember, I think his name's like Sumar Vudra or something. You look at me like I would know. He's, I didn't write it down. He's the uh, He's the author of this book, and he starts out by saying... Basically by saying, I will take your sons on. And he's, the book begins with him teaching a lesson. Okay. And then they ask him a question. He says, if you do that, you will become the the king. You will become like the king of the jungle. Okay. And they go, well, tell us that story. And he goes, okay, I'll tell you that story. Okay. And that's, so that's where this sort of opens. Yeah. The first book is concerning the separation of friends. Each book has a theme. Okay. And every story within that theme follows that theme. So Pingalaka, the king of the jungle, who is a lion, obviously, becomes panicked by the sound of a, an escaped bull who's running around his swords making a lot of noise, and he gets very panicky and runs off. Mm -hmm. Two of his disgraced ministers, Karataka and Damanaka, witness this happening, and they go, well, what's happening with the king? What should we do? Damanaka is curious and says, we should, we should go help him. And Karataka says, have you not heard the story of the monkey and the wedge? We shouldn't stick our nose in our businesses where our business isn't our business. Mm -hmm. And Dominaka says, I don't know the story. Please tell me the story. Okay, so now we've got a story so inside a story yes. inside a story. And Karataka says that basically there's a monkey and he's running around in the jungle and some carpenters and masons are building a tower. They're building something. The building not important. Yeah. But there's a bit of carpentry which is a log split in the, in the middle with a wedge driven into it, keeping okay. it open. Okay. The monkey sees this, goes, what's this wedge for? Wiggles it back and forth until it comes out. His legs become trapped in the log, and he dies before he can escape. The lesson being, don't stick your nose in your business where your business isn't your business. Okay. And they, they sort of go on like that. But uh, Dominaka says that he who serves the king shall favor his so curry his favor okay so i'm going to go ask him what's wrong okay and karataka at this point goes well you do not heed my warnings and and goes away it's your problem yeah so dominaka goes up to the king he says why are you so afraid and the king says oh, I, I hear these sounds in the forest that i don't recognize um i don't want to have anything to do with them and they scare me 
And Dominaka says, well, King, have you not heard the story of the jackal and the drum? And the king goes, no, please tell me the story of the jackal okay. and the drum. Mm -hmm. I'm and, sensing a theory, theme here. Yes, and that story goes, there's a hungry jackal who's prowling around a battlefield looking for food, and he hears a very loud noise. He thinks to himself, I better run away. I don't know what this noise is. Yeah. But then he thinks, no, I should find out because my fears may be right. pointless. So he finds the drum, and he starts to play it. And he realizes that this is what the noise is. And he thinks, oh, well, there might be food in here. So he pierces the skin of the drum, finds that there's no food, and is disappointed by that. But ultimately, he has cured himself, freed himself from this noise. Okay. And so the, the message there is don't be afraid of noises you don't. That's a weak-ass tale. So that's the thing is like, is, is like they all tend to be very quick. And obviously, like, these stories are very symbolic if these because they're being told to princes in a, at a young age. Yeah. And they really tie into how you make allies and how you are meant to hold yourself in a situation where you may let fear okay. overtake you. But yes, they are very like, you would read these to a three-year-old, basically. Yeah, all right, cool. Simpleton three-year-olds. Yes, witless, I believe, witless is, the word that they, is the word that they use. And that's where I, I, I found this. This is this, this thing that I talked about where the problem is presented the the person with the problem says, well, I don't know what to do. The person who the problem is presented to goes, here's a story yeah. within a story with it. So you might hear six or seven stories before you get to the yeah, back to exactly. the, the outer yeah. layer, which I think is kind of a cool way, like a cool storytelling motif. As long as you're a talented enough writer yes. to keep it all straight. Because I, I couldn't read it no. straight. Um, but it is very interesting. And it's not something I don't I don't think that I see very often in big air quote, like Western writing. Like, no, you think of like The Hobbit yeah. or The Lord of the Rings, which right. I always think has been one of those books that if you're going to read a convoluted book, yeah, a great book, yeah. don't get me wrong. But not written in this way at all. But not written in this way at all. No, but I think it's a very interesting... With lots of... It's, and All the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a book written by... C.S. Lewis. Yes, but it's but written by a man who was very religious oh, yeah, and yeah, was yeah. telling a... A largely allegorical story for, yes. for Jesus Christ, the yes. birth of Jesus and Christ. and for children. Yes. They didn't... There weren't these layers of stories and no, stories within it. No, very Again, very well-written series yeah. of books, but this is an interesting thing that I think I would like to see more often yeah. in... It sort of reminds me, like, in the easiest way for me to describe it is, like, Inception. Yes. It's the story within the story, but... I just thought it was yeah. really, I thought it was really interesting. Cool. So this goes into book two. This is the book on gaining friends. And the the first story in this is did the story. Did you learn something? I did not. This story oh, was very Adam, short. I'm sorry. And this is the story of the Crow King and the King of the Doves. Okay. These, all of these characters are animals. Because I think it's easier for children, children to understand. Yeah. Human, le lessons with animals with human virtues. Yeah. So the Crow King sees a hunter approaching his forest. And he warns all the other crows. There's a hunter coming out. He's spread a bunch of berries on the ground. There's a net under there. Like, don't be fooled by the berries. Don't go eat the berries. Mm -hmm. The king of the doves shows up, completely ignores all of this, and takes his dove to eat his doves to eat all the berries, wherein they get trapped by the net. Okay. Which is a problem. That's no good. Mm -hmm. But the king says, we can work together to get ourselves out of this problem. And he says, if we all fly away in the net, the net will come with us, and then we can go get ourselves out of it. Mm -hmm. It's the scene in Finding Nemo with Dory yeah, yeah, yeah. and the when fish they when they all swim yeah. down. So he takes his flock to find his friend the rat. And he says, hey, we got stuck 
uh, in here because we were too stupid and we love eating food. Could you please let us out? But please free my friends first. I'm cutting a lot. These stories aren't long. I'm cutting a large amount of detail. I'm basically just giving you the the, yeah. the bone, yeah. the bare bones. And this is obviously, it's a story of like, yes, the 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 ultimate message is that you want to be, you have to be able to trust the people closest to you. But, but these people, but the people aren't inf completely infallible, which I think yeah. is a thing that, again, I don't see very often. Like in the Western epic, well, that's not true at all, because in the Odyssey, the sailors were out on the open sea and Homer, not Homer, Odysseus was like, shove the candle wax in your ears. And the sailors were like, ah, oh, but we really want to like go meet up with those sirens over there. They're really cute. I just, it's an interesting uh, detail in folklore where the message isn't laid out immediately. Yeah. It's like the message with the crow is don't trust strangers in the forest. And the, the message with the doves is that if you make that mistake, the people who are nearest to you can help get you out of it. So did the rats help? Yes, the rat did help chew him out. The interesting thing there was that the rat said, it's also a way you should lead because the king of the doves says, please free my friends first. And the rat gets mm -hmm. very angry and says, no, you are the king. You have the right to be freed first. And he says, yeah. no, I, I wouldn't be here without my doves. And it's my fault we're in this situation anyway. Okay. So that book ends, leads into book three, uh, titled Of Crows and Owls, which I think is my favorite title of this, this whole, this book. Um, and the of crows and owls is a focus on the on war on how you should lead a, a military campaign. Okay. It opens with the proverb: "Trust not even a close friend who earlier was your enemy." Focus, uh, focuses on war and peace and the battle of good and evil. Wait, trust not even a close, close friend, friend who earlier was your enemy. Okay. I think like this, the idea that people who betray you are always going to betray you. Okay. Not a much forgiveness. Okay, in yeah, this carry proverb. on. So the crows versus the owls, uh, the kings nest in trees near each other. Mm -hmm. And in this story, the owl king, obviously being a predatory bird at night, is having crows killed as they, if they come too close to his tree. Okay, obviously. Yes, as, as you would. And the proverb starts here by saying, whoever neglects disease or their enemy perishes in their hands. So... Like I said, like the owls are very clearly the bad party, the evil party in this story. But the proverb is that the crow should have been more careful in the first place. Okay. Don't put yourself so close to someone you know is your enemy. Okay. So the king crow decides he wants to wage war on the owl. And he asks six of his wisest elders to, to give him advice. Yep. And the owl does the same. And the crow follows the advice of his elders. And the owl doesn't. And the owl ultimately loses the battle. Okay. Um, it's straightforward. Uh, yeah. Listen to your elders when they give you advice. Yep. The book four is uh, focuses on the loss of gains. And this is where the the phrase of bird in the hand is worth two in the bush comes from. Oh, cool. It actually comes from this book of the Panchatantra. I use that phrase all the time. It's a good one, isn't it? I like that it's one. It's a very good one. And this is a, a book of cautionary tales. Okay. This is the story of the croc and the monkey, which might be one that you've that you've heard before. It's a, it's a fairly common one, even in the West, I think. Okay. The monkey lives on the bank of a river and a crocodile lives in the river. And the monkey gives him berries. Right. And they, they develop a friendship. Yep. And the crocodile goes home one day and his wife says, these berries are so sweet, where do you get them? And the, the husband crocodile says, well, I have a good friend, the monkey, who gives me these berries. And his wife says, if you love me, 
you will bring me the monkey's heart to eat, for it would be even sweeter than the berries that he gives to me. He says, oh no, he's my friend. And she says, well, it must be a female monkey. You're cheating on, on me okay. with this monkey, because obviously. Uh, and he says, and she says, you must prove your loyalty to me now. Bring me the, the heart of the monkey. So the crocodile goes to the monkey and says, my wife wants you to come to our house, but you are a land animal, so you must ride on my back. Yeah. The crocodile gets out to the middle of the river and feels comfortable enough to tell the monkey his evil plan. This should really be the book of if you have an evil plan, don't tell people <laughs> your evil plan. Keep it to yourself. And so he tells the monkey what he's, his plan yeah. is. And the monkey says, no, no, no. Uh, take me back to see, uh, to the to the shore because I keep my heart in a tree trunk and I will go get it for you because I think that's a great idea. I would love to give my yeah. heart to your wife. The crocodile believes him. And then the monkey goes to the bank of the river and hides up in a tree. And the crocodile says, like, what what are you doing? And he says, you've you're false. You've you've yeah. lied to me. You you who do you. Who do you know who has two hearts like you're a foolish, a foolish okay. person. And then. <laughs> And then again, like you get to the end of that and that story concludes. Oh, but, that was the conclusion? Yeah, is that the monkey's in the tree. But it doesn't conclude because at the end of that story, the monkey says, have you not heard the story of Chakatanra? Oh, okay. And the crocodile goes, please tell me the story. And so you you have this image of a of a, of a story with a moral, which is, is, I'm not sure what the moral is. I think it's don't, it's like, it's again. <laughs> don't tell the people your evil plan. <laughs> it's again, it's again that sort of don't, if you have a friend and they lie to you, they are your they, they have lied to you. They're no longer your your seem yeah. to be to be seen as your ally. But you have this image of a monkey hanging upside down from a tree, talking to a crocodile who's just tried to take his heart and is saying, "Have you heard the story of Chakatanra? Like this is this is a moral that yeah. you now need to hear." Okay, I just like the storytelling. The final book is book five, uh, which is the lessons of imprudence. The, uh, the book opens with the story of the Brahmani and the mongoose. Devasarma is a Brahmin, which is a, a group of people in India. Okay. And his wife has a son. And on the same day, a Sri mongoose also has a son, which is obviously very big news in this village because his wife adopts the baby mongoose as her son. Okay. The Brahmani never leaves her sons alone because she doesn't trust the mongoose. And the proverb comes in and says that the bonds of the son are stronger than the bonds of the friend, father, or well-wisher. Which, again, I think is, it's, it's, it ties into the sort of, the son, like, the bonds with your son. Being written for an audience. Yes. Are and the, the audience are, being written for the king who's asked yeah, it for his sons. Are the okay. most important of anything. I think also written for the sons if they have sons. Okay. But Brahmani goes out for water one day and she leaves her husband to watch them. And while she's out, a cobra enters their home, and the mongoose, fearing for his brother's life, kills the cobra. Okay. If you don't know this, mongoose and cobras are, are sworn enemies. Are sworn we've enemies already in established this. Oh yeah, because it was in the um the basilisk episode. Yeah, we've already established that That's snakes and mongooses <laughs> don't don't get along. Don't get along. The brahmani comes home, and the mongoose hears her footsteps and goes to greet her, and he greets her. And he's got mm -hmm. blood all over his all over his mouth. Okay. And she fears that her son her birth son has been killed so she smashes the mongoose with a pot of water and kills him and she goes into her room into the room to check on her son and he's perfectly fine and her husband comes in and she says you miser you didn't heed my words and went out for alms self-interest is good but too much will doom you and she says to him do you know the fate of chakra so again 
dead mongoose in your living room. Dead son mongoose in your living room. First thing I'm not doing is... Telling a parable. Telling a parable about about why you should I shouldn't have. But again, the lesson of imprudence being, I think it's said that you want to witness, um, you want to witness, like intake information and then make informed decisions. Yeah. The story obviously being that she should have gone to check her son before she killed the mongoose. Cool. But that's sort that's the end of book five, and it. it it's an interesting thing, and I I wish that I hadn't just started doing the research this morning because I could have probably done a little bit of digging into it a, a bit deeper. But I like I I like the simplicity of those parables. Yeah, and I really like the way that the stories are tell, told. It's interesting this idea that I I just think that's interesting this idea. It always highlights, it's highlighted to me so many times when we've been doing this podcast, my ignorance of cultures outside my own culture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which I hate. Yeah, but and I mean, I'm, it's normal. It is normal. It is normal. It's a bit unfortunate. But it's something that we should be fighting. Yeah. And we are fighting it, I guess, by doing this and by mm. trying to, we make such an effort to not just do Western yeah. legends. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. And I no, I like those. those are, and it is interesting, that Indian storytelling of layering stories upon stories yeah. upon stories. Uh, it is. It is very interesting. And you can buy that book. You can buy the Panchaharta for your kid. It's just, it's a very, the first thing you find when you Google it is like a children's storybook. That's cool. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, simplistic stories with morals that are easy to digest. Yeah. Even, like, especially for like an adult, they're just, there's something very satisfying about it. Yes. I'm aware. I watch a lot of Disney channels. Yes. Yes. That's, that's true. This is very much like a, a Disney, a Disney story. Yeah. Something that's, it's compact. The message is, is like the problems laid out. The solution is presented, it's resolved, and then it ends. And, yes, and it's, it's, it's well-rounded. And it's encapsulated in yeah. 20 minutes. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it was good. So that was fun. I really enjoyed learning about something I didn't know anything about. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just... Again, it's interesting it was when we a, challenge ourselves. It was the same thing with the Japan thing where I was... I knew so little about Japan's culture... I mean, I still know nothing about it. I know, I know absolutely nothing about it. But even that little bit of information that I did absorb and retain is—it's—it's uh, it's just, I, I, it's just a shame, really, when you think about how many years you've been on a planet with with a culture that's. You know, then the other side of that is realistically, I feel like my knowledge of history in my own cultures is woefully lacking sometimes. Yes. Well, yeah, that's the thing too. Is we we do. Um, stories from like for me, like as an American coming from America, which is a massive yeah. bit of land. Like I don't know stories from the West Coast or even from the middle of the country or yeah. from the South or yeah. And you have a history degree, with and a, I'm still learning. And, yeah, yeah. So all I think, the time. I think um, I think that this podcast is good for that. It's good for us. Yeah. Hopefully, it it's good for you guys. Hopefully, hopefully, you guys are enjoying it as well. So next week we're going to do spooky stuff. Yeah. So I'm either going to do something about <laughs> drowning, which is my my, <laughs> my greatest. Fear. How did I guess that? Okay. Because we were watching Finding Nemo, and oh, okay. I like le legitimately can't watch the scene in that movie where the hyper realistic whale swallows them. Because for that whole movie, and this is a little bit of a tirade that may or may not get edited out, but. That whole movie is presented with these like funny, cute characters, and they've got big human eyes and human mouths and teeth, and and then for no reason, for forty five seconds, this massive whale is coming up 
behind them, just like groaning. It's awful. I hate it. It's my least favorite thing. That or sleep paralysis, which I used to suffer from as a child. Either one of those might be on the on the bracket. For and I think I am going to do the callers coming from inside your house stuff. Oh God! Because <laughs> I watched Scream when I was way too young. Yeah. And we worked out Scream came out when I was twelve. So yeah. I was twelve, I think, when I saw Scream. Very impressionable. And that whole idea of like being at home alone, babysitting, and your phone rings. Yeah. Like. I hate it. That terrifies me so seen, i think i'm gonna do something long have long you seen the lights out short horror film it's like it came out like a few years ago no. and it's like two minutes long oh my god scream scared me for life i oh, mean so scary the only horror film i can remember watching in 20 years i mean i'm sure as a when I was a teenager, I would watch. I know when I was a teenager, if we were at like a sleepover and yeah, stuff like that, yeah. and the horror film was on, I'd watch it. Yeah. But like since I was an adult, the only horror film I've willingly watched myself was The Orphan. Okay. With Isabel. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the lead little girl in it was or is a very good friend of mine. Mm. And I had a meeting with her before I met her, and someone said, Oh, she's just been in this film. And I felt it was yeah. only. Fair. Fair to yeah, watch the film course. before I met with her. So I watched that. And it wasn't like a... It was scary in a different way. It wasn't like a slasher film. No, it's... uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I saw I Know What You Did Last Summer at one point. Oh, that movie sucks. <laughs> and I think... Is the The Haunting... Is Which, that based in a hotel, the original? The Shining? One? The Shining. No, the, not the, the Shining. The Haunting? I know there's one with like, the haunting of like of of. I think Nicole Kidman was in it. Oh, I'm not sure. There was I was when I was on holiday in Argentina. I remember it was literally the only thing that they had on video. <laughs> um, so I'm we used to sure. watch that. I'm not sure, but that's basically it. The four horror films <laughs> I remember watching. I I I have the, I had this character development in my life where as I've got because I used to hate spicy food when I was younger and I'm I'm sort of treating it the same way where I've been trying to slowly like introduce it into my life but I'm not in a household at the moment where people no we actively all flatly walk, refuse actively watch horror movies so I end up watching them by myself which is not the environment in which I want to watch them. No, we are all myself, my husband, and my mother are all of the opinion I think that if we're gonna watch TV for escapism, we want it to be. Positive escapism, mm. not negative escapism. Mm. So, yeah. So flatly refuse. To flatly watch. refuse to watch. So I end up watching them alone in my room with the curtains drawn and the lights off, and that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're doing up there. All right. So next week we'll talk about the things that scare us. Yeah. Like crazy. Mm. Um, and then I was just thinking, as you were talking about, we really haven't done any fairy tales. Have we not? No. Okay, let's do a fairy tale in November. So I think the week after we should do fairy tales. Okay. And then obviously coming up towards Christmas, we'll have to do a Christmassy thing. Yeah, Krampus. Dibs. Okay. Calling dibs right now. I'm going to forget, but I'm calling dibs. No, it's fine. You got it. Great. Um, Lovely. So, well, thank you for tuning in again this week, guys. Hope uh, you learned some, something. Hope you enjoyed it. Send us an email at the... Truth of Legends. The truth of Legends at gmail.com. But more importantly, find us on Instagram. At the Legendary Tales, Tales Pod. Oh, yep. Yeah. Uh, leave us a, a comment, send us a DM, do whatever. And we'll mention it if you tell us and that you're And rate and review us on iTunes. Me, 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 me. They're Damn never going to do it. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.